Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Sanford University. Now your host, Doug Sweeney. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Sweeney, and I'm joined today by Dr. Robert Smith, Jr., our beloved Charles T. Carter Baptist Chair of Divinity. Dr. Smith is a well-known preacher, professor, and author, and is cherished here at Beeson for his decades of work helping to prepare our students for ministry. He recently announced his forthcoming retirement at the end of this academic year, of course, we'll miss him greatly, but he's promising to come back a lot as well. Yes, Welcome, Dr. Smith, to the program. Thank you, my dean. Well, I want our listeners to get to know a lot about you and your ministry story today. We'll spend the most of our time talking about your years at Beeson, of course, and, and what's going on these days. But can we start at the beginning? What was your childhood like? How did you come to know the Lord? And at what age did you sense that the Lord was calling you into ministry? Well, our, our, our parents, there were four children, moved us from Knoxville, where we were born, Knoxville, Tennessee, to Cincinnati, Ohio. I was four years of age, and of course, uh, we were immediately a, a part of a, a church there in Cincinnati, Rose Chapel Baptist Church. That's my childhood church. Attended Sunday school, regularly sung in the uh, Rosebuds singing group, the Junior, junior Choir uh, and all of that at age seven. My pastor, um, E.L. Alexander, Elijah Lee Alexander, preached mm-hmm. the gospel and he preached faithfully and he preached hard. And I believed the gospel and I was saved as a result of it. Uh, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He was my mentor. He made me a junior deacon. He challenged me, he stretched me. I got to the point at age 14 where God called me to uh, to teach, and I don't understand it to this day, but I was teaching the deacon's class at 14 wow. and doing home Bible study courses uh, f- with people that I had personally evangelized and gathered from the community to come to our house, and I taught uh, upwards of 40 and 50 people every week. I didn't know what I was doing. It's just... A, Way the Lord was leading me. Well, how did how did other people know to tap you to do the work? I mean, at age fourteen, what did people see in you that they they thought the Lord wanted to use in your church? I was um I was so I was an individual that spent time with only older people, mothers and uh, the fathers of the church. I didn't hang around huh. young people my age, so I didn't play a lot of games or anything. I was in prayer meetings, sometimes the only ones. Uh, I visited the convalescent centers because I was interested in older people, listening to their stories, etc. So I was unusual. Uh, and the people in our tradition would say, well, he's got the mark on him. Hmm. Well, there was nothing visible there, but what they were saying is the hand of the Lord is upon him. And my mother protected me because they were saying he's going to preach. And Mama said, don't tell him he's going to preach. Because if he's going to preach, the Lord will inform him of that. She did not want me to base my calling upon what people uh, were saying. Right. And so at age 17, God did call me mm-hmm. to preach. And he called me at a church that our church was visiting. Our church was Rose Chapel Baptist Church. I was visiting with our church, the New Mission Baptist Church. And 10 years later, at 27 years of age, I was called 
to the New Mission Baptist Church, wow. where um, I had been called as a preacher. Now I'm called as a pastor. Okay. So at 27, I began my pastoral journey. And the experience when you felt like the Lord was calling you yeah. to preaching ministry, what was the experience like? I was singing in the choir, and I sensed, I didn't hear a voice, but I sensed that the Lord was saying to me what he asked of Isaiah, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And my response was, here am I sent me, because I said to the Lord, uh, whatever you want me to do, whether it's to be a missionary or whether it's to be a pastor or whatever it is, I'm willing to do it. And that was what he wanted me to do. He wanted me to preach. And, of course, the older I get, the more I understand it. Then I didn't understand it, but I knew it was a reality. All right. So how did you prepare educationally to be a pastor? Well, when I was 17, again, um, I chose not to go to Bible college the first year because a man by the name of Perry, he was 92 years of age, he was one of our associate ministers at that time at the Rose Chapel Baptist Church who believed that um, that seminaries caused you to lose your faith. Mm. He called them cemeteries. Mm. And so he says, all you need um, is a set of Matthew Henry commentaries mm. uh, and a uh, King James Bible. That's all you need. Mm. I believed him. He was revered in our church. Uh, but I discovered uh, during that year that he was wrong. So I started my Bible college education at, uh, at age 18 and would not uh, go back to school until I was um, 30, 32 years of age because I've gotten married and we had our children. Was my wife would, after 15 and a half years, she would die. And that's the time that I would go back to school and begin um, uh, my theological preparation at Southern Baptist Seminary, two degrees there, and eventually start teaching at that institution. Did you take a break from pastoring to do that, or mm-hmm. were you pastoring and preaching all the way through school? Pastored and preached all the way through school. Wow. All the way through. All right. And then uh, you stayed in the Cincinnati area, yeah. at least, after you were done in Louisville and pastored some more? Absolutely. All right. I pastored that church from 1976 to 1995, almost 20 years. And that's the church in Cincinnati? Yes, sir. All right. Did you live in Louisville while you were in school, or you commuted? We had a house in Louisville. We purchased a house. Actually, it was. It, it was. And I stayed... Um, Close to, well, I lived on college on the, uh, the campus is what it was. So it was really an apartment there. And that enabled me to come down and, uh, take classes and then go back and preach on Wednesday, do my visitations during the week. Had a wonderful group of elders and deacons who believed in me and the church believed in me that these men would help me and relieve me of many pastoral responsibilities in order that I could finish school. Hmm. Well, I know you pretty well. I know you're the kind of man who would have been a wonderful pastor your whole life long, just serving the same congregation for decades and decades. But I also know that that's not how it went for you. You pastored for a long time. Right. You preached your whole life long. Right. But there came a point 
when you got called into teaching ministry in a seminary as well. What was that experience like? Was it difficult for you to sort out what the Lord wanted? How'd that go? It was difficult because that was my home church in a way. You know, 28 years, eight years as an assistant pastor, 20 years as a senior pastor. The church, the Lord had told me, you can't leave until the debt has been retired. Mm. We had purchased, we had bought a new building the first time uh, the church had had a new edifice or had an edifice that, that was his own, really, uh, in a hundred years. And so when that uh, debt was retired um, in 1993, 1993, June 1st, mm. uh, the Lord says, now get prepared. Uh, your work here is almost finished. I didn't want to leave because I loved that church. I had a love affair with that church. That church had a love affair with me. And uh, so I, I pastored. I stayed there for a year and a half. And then in 1994, 1994, that's, I take that back. It's only six months. In 1994, after the debt was retired, mm -hmm. a Southern Seminary, after I walked across the um, stage to get my degree, which was December the 15th, 1993. Right then, I was the assistant professor of preaching hmm. and Carl E. Bates, associate professor of uh, preaching under that, uh, the, uh, the auspices of that chair. Uh, and uh, it was hard because I was leaving a church that I love, and yet I was doing what God was calling me to do, and that was to teach. My wife puts it best. Uh, Wanda Taylor Smith, my wife now, 38 years. She says, my husband was not leaving the pastorate. He was just changing locations. Mm -hmm. And she was right because the classroom became my pastorate. Mm -hmm. The students became my parishioners. And it was that way it was easy because the only way I know how to teach is through um pastoral supervision and sharing and into the lives of my students, both in class and outside of class, outside of the class. Yeah. Well, and of course, you're one of the, the seminary professors who has preached more <laughs> than any others. Just thinking about your, your decades of service in seminary ministry, I can't think of a seminary professor who's preached more regularly while being a full-time seminary professor than you have. How did you... How did you figure out how to steward your time as a young <laughs> seminary professor and kind of get, get your stride when it came to teaching, preaching, and other kinds of ministry? Most of my preaching uh, has taken place at Beeson. Not at Southern Seminary as much, but at Beeson, which meant sometimes that locally uh, I would preach and there'd be no problem. Preach in Birmingham. No problem. It's an hour away. If I went up to Huntsville 90 minutes, sometimes my student would drive me up there and drive me back. And sometimes if it was farther away, which I would not miss class, but I'd drive up and spend the night, get up about 4 o'clock, two hours drive, drive back to Birmingham, get into my office at 6.10, start my classes at 8 o'clock. God gave me uh, energy like Elijah who ate uh, that second meal and went 
um, on a 40-day journey to Mount Horeb on the strength of that meal. So it was strength that was not my own. Uh, sometimes they would send a private plane. I don't say that arrogantly. I don't like private planes personally. But they sent a private plane in order to pick me up and bring me back that same night because it was impossible to get there and get back because I wasn't going to miss the classroom. So that's that me that God just put that together. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You mentioned Beeson already. Yeah. I want to ask you, how'd you get to Beeson? How did you hear about Beeson? <laughs> Probably Timothy George and you were friends from Southern Seminary. Did no. he kind of twist your arm? No. or How'd you get to Beeson Divinity School? Uh, Dr. George and I were at I mean, Southern Seminary for a while. I didn't know Dr. George. He didn't know me. But one day in January 1997, I got a call from his uh, administrative assistant. Her name was Beth. She uh, said that the dean wanted to speak with me. I didn't know him, but I answered his phone call. He said, there's a vacancy in the preacher department, which is significant for our school, and would like to know if you would be interested. And I said, unapologetically, uh, thank you, but no, I'm very happy at Southern Seminary. I love my students because I wanted them to know my emphasis is on the students. I don't care about anything else. I love my students. I feel like that's where I'm supposed to be. Next week he called. Next week he called. I gave the same <laughs> answer. And then he said, well, would you send me a, a resume? I said, no, sir, I'm not interested. And I told my wife, of course, about all of this. She said, you ought to at least send him the resume because he said he would keep it uh, confidentially. Uh, she said, because after all, the Lord may be up to something. And I said to her, I don't want the Lord to be up to something. I don't want to have to drive 500 miles. One way, 500 miles back, plus I'm happy. I'm getting ready to get tenure. I'm getting ready to be the head of the deep end department in black church studies. All these things are going to happen to me. I'm gonna, no, no, no. I listen to my wife. I'm like Pilate. I listen to her. And she's right. Then he invited me to come down. Flew me down from Louisville to Birmingham. And I remember the price of that ticket. It was in the $900 frame. Oh, my. In 1997. Yeah. Flew me down. First restaurant he took me to, Ruth Chris. I didn't know anything about Ruth Chris. <laughs> he just, mm, I met with the, the um, search committee, Dr. Ken Matthews, Dr. Norfleet Day, and Jill McCoo, who's no longer with our faculty, of course. And I just told them, I don't want to really be here. I'm not really interested in the position. But I came down here to see whether a bush was burning and whether a voice was speaking from it, to use the metaphor of Moses. Mm -hmm. And the bush burned and the fire, uh, uh, though it burned, it did not consume the bush and God's voice did speak. To make a long story short, the last time I came, I had several visits down here. He took me to the club. And we went to the club, very prestigious, with the orange rolls. You and I just went there the other night. We did. And I, and then the, he sent me, because they, the board of trustees were meeting on April, I think it was the 15th, and they were going to, you know, give me tenure and all that. I had to make a decision soon. And he took me to the club and sent me 
uh, in a few days a picture of the sign that the club was lo- located on. It says Robert Smith Drive. He says that's the sign. That's the omen that you're supposed to come here. But he was right. I was recommended by um, um, Dr. James L. Massey when Dr. George called Dr. Massey and said, if you could get any competition in the world and money was not even an issue, who would it be? He said, Robert Smith. Oh. And then Dr. George hung up the phone immediately and called Dr. David Docker, asked him the same question, got the same answer. I don't understand that. I don't understand it at all. And on the basis of those two recommendations, he pursued me. Mm. And I didn't even know him and he didn't know me. Well, so what was Beeson Divinity School like back then? I mean, what was it that the Lord used to show you the bush was burning? But what was the attraction? What attracted me was, number one, it was Bible-centered. I mean, you didn't have to, I didn't have to adjust the Bible. I just needed to trust the Bible hmm. and present the Bible without any kind of uh, alterations. Yeah. Second of all, it was what Dean George called a geography of stewardship. What are, you know, you, you had it. Blacks, you had whites, Asians, Hispanics. I don't know if we had any in Native Americans. But that attracted me because eschatology is huge for me. I think that the church ought to be a Kodak moment of the future state of eternity. We ought to mirror in an anticipatory, proleptic way mm-hmm. the kingdom of God. And then the third thing, it was small. It was small so that now I could have a classroom in which I could know every student intimately. I tell my students every opening of fall semester, I want to be three things. Number one, I want to be your pastor. Number two, I want to be your friend. Number three, I want to be your professor. If I can be your pastor and be your friend, I'm confident I can be your professor. With 10, 12, sometimes 16, you can do that. With 60 and 80 and 100, can't do that. That attracted me. Hmm. I honestly don't think I know of a professor in the history of Beeson Divinity School about whom more students say things like, he is my spiritual father. And students wouldn't say that about you if your relationships with them didn't matter a great deal to you. Um, You know I'm trying to uh, cultivate our faculty in such a way that it's full of people who are just like you, share that kind of passion that you have for mentoring students, shepherding students, encouraging students in their ministry. Why is that so important to you? Have you always been like that? Ever since the days you wanted to hang out with older people when you were a boy? Yeah. Or? yeah. It's, um, I want to turn ink in, this is just a reverse of T.S. Eliot, I want to turn ink in the blood. What I write, pages that I read, I want to turn that into blood so that I transfer the cranial to the cardiological, to the heart, uh, which translates into relationality. Eugene Peterson, in his work, his book, um, Working the Angles, uh, The Shape of Pastoral Integrity, says there are three lines that are important in ministry. And, and and I'm adding this, they will help you get a job. One, preaching. Two, teaching. 
three administration. You get a job with those. What will keep you in the job are the angles that hold the lines together. Prayer, mm. scripture reading, yes. and spiritual direction. Mm. That's good. And being with students has helped me to remain here and has improved my prayer life, my appetite for scripture, and however um, a degree of wisdom God has given me as it relates to spiritual direction. Um, that's been huge to me, and that's what I would say to every student also. Work on the angles and don't, uh, don't, and don't just work on the lines. Where does the, the commitment, the drive come from in you when it comes to spending time with students? Um, let me pose this in a way that's going to seem funny, but we're friends and I know you can handle it and it'll help, I think, for our listeners. So you're, you're one of the most beloved, uh, highly sought after preachers in the country and you have been for quite a while, but you spend hours and hours and hours getting ready to minister to our students all the time, every week. Most high-profile preachers don't operate like that. How did you become somebody who operated like that? And how did, uh, how did that uh, kind of commitment stay in you through all the years when on the weekends you were jet-setting and preaching all over the place? But what was it that drew you back and um, made you spend so much time pouring yourself into these students? I've had fathers in the ministry, three of them, namely, one, Reverend E.L. Alexander, my childhood pastor, who challenged me, who stretched me, who disciplined me, who gave me the most searing and piercing critique I've ever had in 58 years of ministry. And that is while I was, when I was eight, eight, 19 years of age and getting ready to preach a youth day at his church, which was now the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church in um, in Ohio. I had eight, an 18-page manuscript handwritten, and he'd asked me, because he had seen me stay up all night, do you have your sermon, Bobby? He called me Bobby. I said, yes, sir. Let me see it. I showed it to him, 18 pieces. He says, you're going to need all of that to say what you need to say in 20 minutes to these young people? If you can't remember all that and you've written it down, how are they going to remember it? All he had done is taken his pulpit commentary and just wrote it down word for word. He took every single page and tore it up. And uh, we had to be in church at 30 minutes. He said, now go get your sermon. That has, um, that changed me. He wasn't against manuscript because they used it all the time. He just knew that it wasn't in me. It was on the paper. So him, second of all, George Q. Brown's discipline for Yale Alexander, George Q. Brown for his delivery. I've known him and I went with him all the way from Cincinnati up to Canton, Ohio. And he would preach to the congregation. There's about seven people there. And he preached with such passion and gave his heart in every, every time he preached. I don't care what the audience was. So for delivery, passion delivery. But then James Earl Massey. Mm. He was a consummate preacher. 
He brought it all together with integrity. And they all poured their lives into mine. All that. Hmm. I'm a debtor. It's a privilege to have people who come and want your company, want your prayers, want your love. They're not the I'm the blessed one. I'm the blessed one. And God has spared my life. So I'm blessed. It's a, not a job. Never has been. It's a joy. It's a joy. So freely you have received, freely give. It's like for me, it's like inhaling and exhaling. It's just normal. It's just natural. It's not me. It's Christ who worketh in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's Christ who does it. That's wonderful. And you sure have had a blessed ministry at Beeson for a long time. If you were going to represent Beeson to a a group of people who'd heard about it but didn't know much about it, and they wanted to ask you, Dr. Smith, so what's it like there? Uh, How would you characterize Beeson Divinity School, and what's special enough about what the Lord has made Beeson to be and has been doing at Beeson through teachers like you over the years? What What's special enough to keep someone like Robert Smith here for as long as he did? It's family. It's family. There is um, there's no way to come to Beeson um, a stranger and leave a stranger. You come to Beeson and you you get love bombarded, a love bond, mm-hmm. and people genuinely care about you. Professors care about you. Professors and students eat lunch together. We go to the hospitals. We visit. Unfortunately, we go to funerals. We certainly go to weddings. Um, we walk together. We share together. If you want more than just an education, if you want an experience, come to Beeson. If you want an education and a diploma, that's one thing. But if you really want an experience that is going to define you and refine you and shape you for the rest of your life, Beeson is where you want to be. Well, we announced at the top of the show that uh, this is going to be your last year of full-time teaching ministry at Beeson. You'll be retiring in a way (laughs) at the end of this academic year. Uh, But for those who are interested out of curiosity and even more so for those who love you and are listening to this interview, uh, tell us what you think the Lord has in store for you at the end of this academic year. What's your quote-unquote retirement going to look like? Well, as you know, I call it reassignment because I don't think the word retirement is in the vocabulary of, of the Bible. I mean, you can retire from careers and so on, but not from ministry because you know that. The Bible says in Revelation 2 and 10, Be thou faithful until death, and I'll give you a crown of life. Not until you retire. So that's the way I go with that. I explain to people, because I've been getting a lot of uh, questions that stem from um, my announcement. I explain to them that right now I'm sailing uncharted waters and traveling under sealed orders. 
I'm sailing uncharted waters, waters I've never navigated or sailed before. This new, I don't know what I'm sailing. I'm like Abraham in Hebrews 11 and 8. And Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. He didn't know where he was going, but he wasn't lost because God was leading him. And God is leading me. I just don't know where. I'm sailing uncharted waters, but I'm traveling under sealed orders. I have the orders there in the envelope of mystery, and they're sealed. And I don't know when God is going to say now, that's it. Stop. Now open up the envelope and read your orders. And wherever, whatever the orders say, since God is my business manager, I'm going to do. But right now, it's awfully, it's just fun to me to sail uncharted waters. Hmm. And to know that the orders are there. And when it's his time to reveal them to me, I'll just keep sailing until I'm sure about where he wants me to go. My desire is that I will ever remain connected with Bisa Medisco. Because this is really where it has happened. And this is the city I love, and these are the people I most want to be with. But he's my business manager. We'll, we'll see. I'm going to have fun, though. We'll all follow the Lord's leading. But as we were talking about over lunch today, you're also going to keep your office here, going to keep mm -hmm. a condo here. That's right. We're going to be blessed with plenty of Robert Smith down the road. You won't get rid of me. That's right. Well, before we wrap things up, one new thing the Lord's been doing in your life recently is this ESV audio Bible that you have read. And I'm going to ask you to tell us what it is. I'm looking forward to when it's published because I want to, in all my driving trips, I want to listen to Dr. Smith read scripture to me. Uh, what is the ESV audio Bible? How'd they talk you into doing whatever you did and what did you do? Well, Dr. Paul House had recommended me to Crossway to do this. Now they had several auditions, number of people, and they gave me um, samples of various various scriptures, passages, pericopes, paragraphs to read. Uh, had to read them, record them, of course, and then um, they listened to it. Listened to, I guess, they wanted to, you know, the voice and um, the intensity and the inflections, all of that stuff. And I came back as a finalist, and so I signed the contract for it. I wanted to do it, um, well, let me tell you what it did for me. This has been the greatest challenge uh, in my ministry life. A greater challenge than any sermon I've ever tried to preach or any lecture I've ever tried to deliver. Really? Oh, yeah. The greatest challenge. Number one... It increased my appetite for scripture so that I developed a more insatiable appetite. I couldn't get enough of it. Still can. Number two, it exposed my ignorance of scripture. You know, I thought I knew a little bit about scripture. I realized I was ignorant. I was ignorant. So it exposed that. It gave me in six weeks, I would get up... Um, Try to be in bed by nine and try to, oh, well, I would. I'd get up, um, 
2 o'clock every morning, sometimes earlier, I found myself reading scripture in my mind. I mean, just reading it. Sometimes I couldn't tell whether I was dreaming or whether I was actually doing it. I'd go to my office outside of our, our home, and I would read scripture from 3 to um, about 8.30, something like that. Um, maybe 9, uh, tried to be in, be in bed by 9, but sometimes it didn't make that depending upon where I was and reading. And so I would read. So, uh, wait, let me slow me yeah. down there. You, so you're talking about from 3 a.m. Yeah. to 9 yeah. p.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we ought to pause on that for a moment because, uh, as I mentioned to you when I got a taste for what you were doing before we started recording, I said, well, unless God did some kind of miraculous work in me, I did. just physically, I don't think I could do that. Yeah, he did. And the amazing thing about it was that I really wasn't tired. What I did, I had to, um, and this is before the reading, I had to um, look at every passage, every story, uh, or whatever it was that I was reading, and um, find myself in the history of that, that, uh, of that story, the historical context the literary context, the kind of material I was reading, whether it's epistolary or uh, prophetic or law, whatever, and then ask myself, where is where is the theocentricity? Where is God in terms of being central? Where is the Christocentricity? Where is Jesus? Where is the Numocentricity? Where is the Holy Spirit? Um, uh, how do I take and um, move into... Uh, 2,000 away for 2,000 years of history back into that place. What are the emotions that are there? What is the voice tone? What was it like for Jesus to, to appear uh, to um, to John, or rather to um, Thomas? What was it like for him to see the nails in his side and hands and to say, my Lord. My God, how did he? How did he say that? How did he feel? How was he moved? I mean, all of those things. It wasn't about just the enunciation and pronunciation and so forth. Yes, that's important. And I listened to maybe the NIV, uh, certain words that uh, were pronounced that that I didn't have down pat. So when I came to the Corinthians passage, this is not Corinthians, but Chronicles. <laughs> And all these mm. genealogies and names mm -hmm. and so forth. And oh my goodness. I said, Lord, I can't get through this. I said, oh, I just can't. You know, just willing yeah. to give up. And I struggled at it. But it take three hours to get through one chapter. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm oh, telling you. And, uh, and yet the Lord helped me to do that. So now when I go back and I'm reading scripture, and I said, did I read that? Amazed, I actually pronounced that right and read. <laughs> did I read that? Yeah, so I did all of that, and then we just just go through it. I'm grateful for the staff at Zion Global Ministries. They'd bring me my coffee, my tea, bring me water, whatever. Of course, I had a soundproof um, booth that Crossway, uh, the Crossway technician that uh, set up everything was set up. Yeah, it's it, it's just to me, it's a miracle. Wow. It's just an absolute miracle. God did it. So if I have ever have faith 
a lack of faith in what God can do, he takes me right back to that moment because I didn't do that. Well, the way you describe it, not only is there learning, biblical learning that's required, not only is there a lot of uh, physical stamina that's required, not only does the Lord have to preserve your vocal cords and your larynx and so on, but there's a lot of mental energy that's being sustained for hours Mm -hmm. of this kind of activity. And you're even, not to overdo this, because what you're mostly doing is reading God's word to us. But in the way you make decisions about inflection and emphasis and so on, you're also doing a little bit of interpreting. You're Absolutely. helping us to receive God's Absolutely. word in the best way. Yes. My goodness. So when this comes out, what do we get? We get Dr. Smith reading from Genesis through Revelation. Yes. And we can listen from beginning to end, or maybe we can bounce around and go book by book. We can yes. do whatever we want. Oh, yeah. But see, what their whole idea was... We can get people, and I won't name names, it's not to um, demean anyone either, who are professional readers, perfect diction, Mm -hmm. on and on and on, Um, but they're reading from a Bible that's really foreign to them, Mm -hmm. and uh, they're reading from a Bible that they don't believe in, Mm -hmm. and one particularly doesn't even believe in God. You get a voice. Mm, you get from the neck up. Yeah. But when you, with this series, you get from the head down. It's it's cognitive, it's affective. Mm. There's transformation that's there. So when you hear like, a, who was the person that we had uh, to do our alumni um, uh, last year? Gavin Ortland. Okay. <laughs> His father. Oh, yeah. He reads it. See, you know, you're getting someone who has invested his whole life. Yes, yes. He believes in what the scripture said. Yeah. He's not just reading words. Ray Ortland's a pastor himself. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can't wait. And this comes out a month or two? Yeah, they say January, something like that. But uh, keep with the marketing um, technicalities and all of that, they, they want to present the uh, very best they can present in terms of. Um, Sound and all, and 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 they want to market it well, and you know they send it all. It's going to be something that will um, be heard all over the world. So they keep moving it back, and uh, that's fine. Wow, sounds like a wonderful thing. Mm. Well, Doctor Smith, uh, we better wrap things up. And as you know, uh, what we like to do these days when we conclude our podcast interviews is ask our guests what the Lord's doing in their lives these days, what yes. the Lord is teaching you these days. So I, I ask you, does the, the famous Robert Smith who's been walking with the Lord since you were a boy, thinking about ministry since you were a teenager, and is now in your 70s and thinking about retiring, is, are, are you at an age where the Lord has stopped doing things in you and teaching you things, or is he still teaching you some things? Still, I think the Lord is saying to me, I knew he is and has been, that life is too short to be mediocre. Hmm. And I don't mean uh, being great inside of others, but I'm talking about doing something uh, that will only have value as long as you live. Yeah. I'm, I, I want, I want to, I want to, I want to do um, excellent uh, work and provide excellent service for my Lord. 
Not for the name. My name means nothing. No, 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 no. But why spend this time on earth and just be mediocre? Be average. God has, God has called us to do things that are exceptional, that bring honor and glory to him so that people will say, wow, he must serve a great God. That's what I want. Friends, you have been listening to the Reverend Dr. Robert Smith, Jr. Uh, he serves as the Charles T. Carter Professor, uh, Baptist Chair of Divinity here at Beeson Divinity School. He teaches preaching, pastoral ministry. He is a spiritual father to hundreds and hundreds of uh, Beeson students and alumni and other people around the world, and he's a, he's a dear friend. <clears throat> He'll be retiring at the end of this year. And we love him dearly, and uh, we will make sure that he comes back <laughs> and rubs shoulders with us and Praise preaches for us and ministers to us for as Praise long as the Lord, Lord gives him life and breath. Uh, but this is his last year of full-time uh, teaching here at Beeson. So please pray for him as he turns the next please. page, as he yeah. opens that envelope and looks at what the Lord has for him in the next yeah. stage of his ministry. Yeah. Please pray for the dear students of Beeson Divinity School. We are praying for you. We love you. And we say goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from the campus of Samford University. Our theme music is by Advent Birmingham. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our engineer is Rob Willis, and our show host is Doug Sweeney. For more episodes and to subscribe, visit BeesonDivinity.com slash podcast. Also find the Beeson Podcast on iTunes and Spotify.